Hello and welcome to edition number 1936 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 3rd of November. I'm Peter B, and I edited this edition. And beside me at the recording controls is Eric Imerson. Now this week we've got items from New Yap, Burford, Blenheim, Whitney, Chipping Norton and many other places in our area about speed restrictions, Halloween, a royal clock... And many more. Our four readers this evening are Andrew Law, Gavin Smalley, Alison Granger and Mike Franklin. So, Anne, let's begin about these road restrictions and speed limits. Motorists are confused by new 20 mile per hour signs. Motorists in Whitney and nearby villages have been left baffled after a series of 20 miles per hour signs were erected in confusing locations, including next to a 30 mile per hour road marking. The signs were rolled out last week in Oxfordshire County Council as part of its 8 million 20 mile per hour restriction programme. The three-year scheme sees the council introduce 20 mile per hour speeds as the new 30 mile per hour for communities where there is local support with the aim being to reduce congestion and air pollution and make roads safer. In July, Whitney became the first town in the county to have the speed restrictions approved by the county council. The implementation of the measure was called a landmark moment by Oxfordshire's Cabinet Member for Highways, Andrew Gant. Whitney is the first and the biggest project we are undertaking in this phase of the programme, and we believe these changes will make the town a safer, quieter and less polluted place, and will encourage more people to cycle and walk reducing the county's carbon footprint, the Lib Dem councillor said at the time. However, drivers in the town were left scratching their heads when the signs were unveiled due to their perplexing locations. One 20-mile-per-hour sign in Burford Road has been placed opposite a 40-mile-per-hour sign and two signs in New York Road have been positioned either side of a 30 mile per hour road marking. Puzzled motorists took to social media to blast the new signs by calling them a waste of money, stupid and confusing. Following the outcry, a spokesperson for the county council told this newspaper, we are grateful to the residents for raising six the issues with us at some locations and we'll deal with these issues as soon as possible. By the weekend, the council has covered the signs with black meshing. County Councillor Liam Walker, Shadow Cabinet Member for Highways Management said, it seems they have put some of the signs in the wrong place. For example, in Burford Road, which is an area of the controversy, they have put the 20 mile per hour sign near to the main road rather than the lay-by that runs alongside it. Drivers are confused whether they should be doing 20 miles an hour or 40 miles per hour, and then it changes to 30 miles per hour further along. 
The Conservative councillor who represents Hanborough and Minster Lovell explained much of the anger was directed at the cost of installing the signs in correct, lo, in, in correct locations and the overall programme amid the cost of living crisis. You have got people driving along at 20 miles an hour being tailgated and honked at because actually it is a 40 mile per hour road. It does feel they are trying to rush through these 20 mile per hour because it seems they have fallen behind with the programme. Now, Gavin, apparently some places in Oxfordshire are deemed to be some of the best places to live in the UK. Yes, 10 of the county's locations have been hailed best in the UK to live. The Jericho area of Oxford, Burford and Woodstock are among the, the 10 best places to live in Oxfordshire, according to a women's lifestyle guide. The desirable neighbourhoods feature in the top 10 compiled by Muddy Stilettos, a home county's website aimed at affluent females. Other places include Charlbury, Henley, Kingham, Tame, the Miltons, Wallingford and Watlington. The annual league table lists the top 250 places to live in the region. Each location mentioned comes with a location map, up-to-date information on desirable properties available for sale, and on-the-ground insights into top postcodes, schools and nurseries, shopping, culture, restaurant and bars. It also takes into account commuting journeys for those still travelling into London and other cities. Hero Brown, the founder and editor-in-chief of Muddy Stiletto, said, When people decide to move, they're searching for more than just a house. They want a home, a lifestyle that works for them and their family. And if they're strategic, a long-term investment too. Our 2023 Top 250 Places to Live guide will give them that extra reassurance they need to make their search easier in these difficult economic times. We've built our reputation on first-hand knowledge of the most exciting, vibrant places to go and things to do outside London. Now, with 50 more recommendations than last year's guide, the new information added on important considerations such as nursery education and nearby culture. The 2023 list is a natural step for us to continue to expand our authority in this area. Now, Alison, the animals at the Wildlife Park enjoyed Halloween, I believe. Indeed, yes, and I've got some lovely photos of them that I'll tell you about at the end. My headline is, Animals Get Ghoulish Snacks for Halloween. Residents of Cotswold Wildlife Park enjoyed the spooky season as keepers handed out pumpkin lanterns filled with the animals' favourite snacks. Chris Kibby, assistant animal manager at the zoo, said, The clocks have gone back, the leaves are falling off the trees, and our keepers are able to show off their carving skills. This time of year is a good opportunity to provide some seasonal enrichment for some of our animals, and pumpkins are great. They can be hollowed out, given a spooky face, and some of the animals' favourite treats hidden inside. Our giant tortoises, meerkats, wolverines, tapirs, dwarf mongoose and anteaters were just some of the animals tucking in. The tamandua enjoyed using their long, sticky tongue to slurp up mealworms in their pumpkin. 
with Orinoco dominating the occasion. The meerkats also had mealworms in theirs, although being omnivorous supplemented their diet with some pumpkin flesh too. Even Boots the armadillo couldn't resist the temptation. Some of the pumpkins were grown by gardeners from the Jubilee Gardens Project, a charity that provides education and training to adults with learning disabilities. It was the second year the park has worked with the charity and invited the growers to see their produce on display at the pumpkin patch. The group also helped the park's reptile keeper treat its giant tortoises, including 86-year-old George, who demolished his pumpkin in no time. And I have a lovely photo at the top of George, the 86-year-old giant tortoise, uh, sniffing at his pumpkin. He looks slightly more suspicious. And there's a meerkat who looks as though he's deeply buried in his. Um, now, an, an anteater, I think, probably, with a, this long snout stuck right down into it. An animal I don't recognize, but it sort of looks like a big giant woodlouse or something. And a mongoose with a big, big smile on its face and beside his uh, hollowed-out pumpkin. And I'm sure they're all enjoying their treat. Mike, you've a story about a royal clock. Horologist's men's king's clock on TV. King Charles III was visibly moved as he viewed the handiwork on an 18th-century clock after its chimes were restored by an Oxfordshire horologist. Steve Fletcher from Whitney met the monarch when he appeared on a special episode of BBC's The Repair Shop last week. In The Repair Shop, a royal visit, the then Prince of Wales asked for his for help restoring an 18th century bracket clock and a piece made for Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee by British ceramics maker Vamus Ware. The king asked Mr Fletcher, Have you got the bells working again? The suspense is killing me. Following the uncovering on Wednesday night's show, the royal said, Oh, my, look at that. Fantastic. It just shows what love, care and attention does. Marvellous. Having seen what it was like, I can't thank you enough. It really is wonderful. It will look really special back in Dumfries House. Mr Fletcher was accompanied by furniture restorer Will Kirk, as well as ceramics expert Kirsten Ramsey, who helped to restore a piece of pottery. Presenter Jade uh, Jay Blades, who studied upholstery at Rykert Wood Furniture Centre at the City of Oxford College, joined the team on the visit to Dumfries House in Scotland for the one-off episode last week to mark the BBC centenary. After the pendulum was swung in order to hear the clocks tick-tock, King Charles glanced at his wristwatch to compare this time, saying, Sorry, just checking. Speaking about his love of clocks, the king added, to me, I just love the sound, the tick-tock. But also if they chime, that's why I love grandfather clocks. I find it rather reassuring in a funny way, and they become really special parts of the house, the beating heart of it. So that's why they matter to me.
I'm afraid it's something I learnt from my grandmother. She had great fun putting together and trying to get them to chime at the same time in the dining room, which made it very enjoyable because everybody had to stop talking. When Mr. Blaze asked if he was happy about the restoration, King Charles said, Oh, God, yes, I am so grateful to you. In the episode, King Charles met students from the Prince's Foundation Building Craft Programme, a training initiative that teaches traditional skills such as blacksmithing, stone masonry and wood carving. The monarch said, I still think the great tragedy is lack of vocational education in schools. Actually, not everybody is designed for the academic. Apprenticeships are vital, but they, they just abandoned apprenticeships for some reason. I have another article about clocks, the title being Clocking on for Duty. Time was turned back over the weekend at one of the county's most famous landmarks, Blenheim Palace, timekeeper Julian Newman, was tasked with the protracted job of winding back the hands on more than 30 intricate and ornate clocks at the Woodstock stately home as the country made its annual shift from British summertime back to Greenwich meantime for the winter months. The clock enthusiast has the delicate task of adjusting the time twice a year. Alongside his weekly winding and time-checking duties for the rare and historic timepieces. Until GMT became universally adopted in 1884, the estate had its own time zone. Blenheim time was introduced by the fourth Duke of Marlborough, an enthusiastic amateur astronomer and a close friend of King George III. The Duke used a telescope given to him by the King to determine time across the estate. He would then set the time of the regulator, Grand Clock, in the Great Hall, which was a perfect timekeeper. Danger driver rammed three police vehicles. Video footage shows a drug driver ramming three police cars in a bid to escape arrest. Nicholas Overton, 36, was pursued by police after failing to stop when he was flagged to pull over by officers in Surrey. When he was boxed in by police at traffic lights in Tolworth, he tried but failed to ram his way out. Overton reversed into one vehicle and then drove forward, ramming a second. One officer was taken to hospital after being hurt on May the 21st last year. Overton, 36, of Whitney, denied dangerous driving and assaulting an emergency worker, but pleaded guilty to failure to stop and driving over the specified drug limit. He was found guilty of all charges and was sentenced to 12 months in prison, suspended for two years, plus a two-year driving ban for dangerous driving. Overton was also, also ordered to carry out 150 hours of unpaid work to complete a thinking skills programme. I make stupid mistakes, order Breacher tells Judge. A man threw himself on a judge's mercy, telling him, I'm not a criminal, I just make wrong and stupid decisions. Samuel Cooper, age 30, was in the dock for breaching a non-molestation order, banning him from seeing his pregnant partner. 
Oxford Crown Court was told that Cooper had been found by police in the garden of the woman's mother's home in Spring Meadow, Whitney, on October the 5th. He claimed to have spent the day with his partner, who told him that the family court order had been rescinded. He said he'd gone with her to see the paperwork, showing the order was no longer in force. When the police tried to detain him, Cooper, who had a bottle of wine in his bag and appeared to the officers to be drunk, verbally abused the constables. Prosecutor Nick Mather said the defendant told one officer, You fat little effer! I'll spit in your face, I'll stab you, believe me! He allegedly threatened to rape one officer's wife and daughter, although Cooper denied making the remark. He was charged with breaching a non-molestation order and threatening behaviour, putting him in breach of requirements imposed by Judge Michael Gledhill, KC, when he deferred the West Oxfordshire man's sentence on other matters earlier this summer. On Tuesday, Cooper of Valence Crescent, Whitney, also had to be sentenced for driving a white Kia on November the 14th last year, while disqualified, over the limit for ketamine and cocaine. The court heard that police officers manning a road closure following a rave near Bicester stopped the car after seeing it coming towards them at 6.15am without its headlights on. In a letter to the judge, read by his barrister Emma Hornby, he accepted responsibility for what he'd done but asked for a final chance to sort out his drug and alcohol issues in the community. The defendant, who had been at HM at HMP Bullingdon on remand for almost three weeks said prison definitely isn't for me which I have realised I've definitely learnt my lesson in prison because I've seen if I keep making stupid mistakes this could be my life he said my life in the here is awful I'm not a criminal I just make wrong and stupid decisions the latest court case was the wake up call he needed said Cooper who the Kurt court heard suffered from poor mental health. During the summer, he had managed to obtain work as a labourer, was reducing his drug and alcohol use, and had plans to renovate a house. Later, addressing the judge from the dock, Cooper added, I've got stuff I don't wish to lose. Sending him down for 18 months, Judge Gledhill said he did not relish jailing the defendant. He added, It at least gives you the opportunity while you're in prison of keeping away, certainly, from alcohol and hopefully from drugs. Ballots open for ambulance staff strike action. Hundreds of ambulance workers across the region could go on strike if a vote for industrial action is successful. The workers, including paramedics and emergency call handlers from across Oxfordshire, Berkshire and Buckinghamshire and Hampshire could strike over pay. Staff were handed a 4% NHS Agenda for Change pay award last month. The imposed award meant most staff received an increase of around £100 a month in their pay packet. However, this falls short of the real rate of inflation, which stands at 12.6%. In a recent consultative ballot over pay, Unite members employed by the South Central Ambulance Service voted by 82% to strike. 
Nearly all, 98%, said that the pay award announced by the UK government back in July 2022 was unfair. Unite Regional Officer Jessica Palmer said, The anger amongst our South Central Ambulance Service members at rapidly diminishing living standards, increasingly threadbare services and even more unsustainable workloads is such that we are balloting for strike action. The government must put forward a better pay deal and one that does not come out of existing, soon-to-be-horrifically squeezed budgets. The ballot for strike action opened on Wednesday and closes on November the 30th. The following article is headed District joins 26 councils to back climate bill. West Oxfordshire District Council has become the fourth district authority in the council to support the climate and ecology bill. The bill is to help reduce emissions, restore and conserve ecosystems and to be responsible in general. There are 27 councils in total across Oxfordshire which have passed motions with the exception of Sherwell District Council, which rejected the motion last week. Kate Aldridge, the coordinator of Zero Hour Oxfordshire, a a campaign in support of the Climate and Ecology Bill, said, We warmly welcome the decision of West Oxfordshire District Council in supporting the motion and thank the councillors who voted in support for their community leadership. It is very disappointing that Sherwell District Council have not been able to keep pace with the other councils on this crucial issue, with some senior Conservative councillors obviously failing to understand why it is so important for local councils to support the bill. I am sure that Sherwell residents would like to look to their local community leaders to do what is within their power to mitigate against the worst effects of this crisis. Zero Hour Oxfordshire is putting out a call to businesses and other organisations, as well as individuals in Oxfordshire, to sign an open letter to Oxfordshire MPs calling on them to support the CE Bill. And now three pieces of news in brief. Woman threatened with knife by balaclava thug. A woman was threatened with a knife by a balaclava-wearing thug. The terrifying incident happened at around 10pm on Friday, October the 21st. Thames Valley police officers were called to a report of a victim, a woman, who was threatened by a man with a knife on the fields near Northwood Crescent in Carderton. The offender was wearing all black and a balaclava. He then followed the victim down Upavon Way towards Bryce Norton Road. A Thames Valley police spokesperson said... If you believe you may have witnessed this, or have any information on the suspect, please call 101. Alternatively, you can call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111, or visit crimestoppers-uk.org. Then a road closed for hours after building blaze. 
A road was closed in both directions after a building caught fire in Chipping Norton. West Street, between the A44 New Street and the A361 Burford Road, was closed due to the blaze at about 9am last Wednesday morning. Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue Service and Thames Valley Police were at the scene and a photograph shows several fire engines parked on the roundabout outside the King's Arms. A fire service spokesman said the cause was being investigated and added, Fire crews extinguished a fire in one of the rooms using a high-pressure hose, followed by removing the smoke using large fans. The road reopened just before 1pm. And finally, for this little set... Choirmaster out on tour. Choirmaster Gareth Malone will be coming to the New Theatre in Oxford later this month. His November the 28th show will feature songs performed on television over the last 15 years. He said, Wherever I go, people are so excited about being able to listen to live music and to enjoy singing once again. Mr Malone first appeared on screens in the three-part BBC documentary series The Choir in 2006, bringing music into the lives of people who had never sung before. Tickets for the show are available at garethmalone.com. Lionel to keep his fans singing all night long. Fans of global superstar Lionel Richie will be dancing on the ceiling at news the pop giant is heading to Blenheim Palace for next year's Nocturne Live Festival. The Say You Say Me star will play an outdoor show in the Great Court of the Woodstock Stately Home on June the 14th, on what will be his first trip to the UK since 2019. The 125 million record-selling artist had been due to play the palace earlier this year, but pulled out due to Covid fears. Mr Ritchie, an Oscar, Golden Globe and Grammy-winning singer, is famed for an array of hit songs, including Endless Love, Lady, All Night Long, Stuck on You, Hello, Say You, Say Me, Dancing on the Ceiling, Three Times a Lady, Still and Easy. Tickets for the 10,000 capacity show will go on sale at 9am on Friday, starting at £54. They're expected to sell out well in advance. Mr Ritchie said, I'm really looking forward to heading to Blenheim Palace next summer. The UK crowds are some of the best in the world and I can't wait to get back over there to see you all. The Nocturne Live Concert Series has previously featured performances from Elton John, Kylie Minogue, Gary Barlow, Niall Rogers, Noel Gallagher, Gregory Porter, Van Morrison, Tears for Fears, Gladys Knight, Elvis Costello and Ennio Morricone. News of Mr Rich's Blenheim date is the first of next year's festival announcements. Organisers of West Oxfordshire's other big events, Wilderness and Alex James's big festival, are expected early next year. The district's other big music event, Cornbury Festival, will not take place next year, having staged its final ever event in July. This year's Nocturne Live Festival, the first since the pandemic, was hailed as one of the most successful ever, with 35,000 tickets sold across the concert series. Founder of Nocturne, uh, 
Ciro, Ciro Romano, I'm sorry if I pronounced his name wrong, said, this year's Nocturne Live series was a re resounding success on all fronts. We were obviously delighted to have been back after a bit of a break, but it was the poor performances from our artists and the incredible atmosphere that the crowds provided that really made it a magical few days. <coughs> we sold more tickets for this year's event than we've ever done and are really excited to start unveiling the acts for 2023 in the coming months. As well as cancelling his West Oxfordshire show, Mr Ritchie this year also pulled out of the Isle of Wight Festival. Announcing the postponement, he told fans earlier this year, As Covid and its variants continue to impact the world, I've decided to hold off on my European tour. The most important thing to me is the health of my fans, band and crew. Nocturne Live at Blenheim Palace runs from June the 14th to the 18th. Tickets from nocturnelive.com. Care agency sent out its office staff. A care agency that was so understaffed, it had to send out office workers to tend to clients that had been rated inadequate by inspectors. Again, Care Oxford based in Whitney High Street, provides personal care to people living in their own houses and flats. It was inspected by the Care Quality Commission in August when 53 people were using the service. The agency said it took immediate action to improve but apologised that the branch fell short at the time. Inspectors found that it failed to implement effective systems to identify, investigate and appropriately respond to allegations of abuse. For example, one person using the surface had disclosed concerns in August 2022 regarding how a staff member had allegedly assaulted them. The service, the service did not offer additional assistance, investigate this or report this to the local authority. Not, not acting on this incident led to a further occurrence of harm with another person using the service. Care records were incomplete and at the time of the inspection staff were required to carry out two asymptomatic COVID tests weekly but some staff were unaware of up-to-date testing guidance. At the time of inspection Inspectors were informed that staff were covering calls due to being short-staffed. Professionals working with the service also said that one person had recently been asked if their calls could be cancelled and if their family could support them due to low staffing numbers. However, many people said they felt, felt cared for. One person using the service said, My team are great. We chat about everything. A relative of someone using the service said, They are spot on. They are nice with her. They have a lovely relationship. Inspectors found the registered manager did not have an adequate understanding of their role and lacked oversight with several staff saying that they had not yet met them. An again care spokesperson said, we took the C 
QC's inspection report extremely seriously and immediately took action to address the points it raises and are confident the branch is safe and well-led. We are also providing intensive support for a new leadership team in the branch, which includes a new and highly experienced manager, and we are working closely with the local authority and making good progress with improvements already taking place. The inspection happened at a challenging time with staffing levels, which reflects the national picture across the care sector. Nonetheless, we absolutely accept and apologise that the branch fell short of expected high standards at this time. Uh, for this week's editor's reflection, I've been delving through the archives of the Oxford Times and have come up with two short stories for the beginning of November. And the first was on the 2nd of November, 1963, and it says that the Beatles stopped at the Windrush Inn on the Burford Road just outside Whitney. The boys were on their way to Cheltenham, and their black Austin princess stopped in the main forecourt outside the pub, and a member of their team went inside to ask if lunch could be served. According to the landlord, Ted Thompson, the man said it was the Beatles, and they were feeling tired, and should, could their presence be kept quiet? Margaret Hill was waitressing in the dining room. I didn't know whether I was coming or going, she said. Evidently, Mr Thompson succeeded in his mission, because the boys managed to have a peaceful lunch and go on their way unnoticed. Two days earlier, the band had experienced their first major airport reception at Heathrow on their return from Sweden. The group and their entourage flew second class in a Scandinavian Airlines Caravelle aircraft, and upon their arrival in England, there were thousands of fans at the airport standing outside in spite of the heavy rain. The Beatles initially thought that the fans were waiting to see the Queen, but they soon realised the extent of their popularity back home. Many of the fans were sporting Beatles haircuts and the screams were so loud that they drowned out the noise of the jet engines. And the second piece is for the 11th of November. And it says that on this day, in 1923, the Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire Light Infantry War Memorial at the foot of Rose Hill was dedicated. It was originally proposed that the memorial should be close to the barracks, but it proved impossible to acquire a suitable site. Instead, it was built on land donated by Christchurch on Rose Hill. The location was specifically chosen so that the memorial could be seen against the sky. The memorial cost £878 and 10 shillings and was unveiled by the regiment's Colonel Major General Sir John Hanbury Williams. Sir Edwin Lutins was the leading English architect of his generation and before the First World War his reputation rested on his country houses and his work in New Delhi. But during and after the war he became the pre-eminent uh, uh, the preeminent architect for war memorials in England, France and the British Empire, and one of the best known, of course, is the Cenotaph in Whitehall in London. And on a personal note, at the age of 18, I was living in Cornwall and received a letter ordering me to report to Cowley Barracks in Oxford to begin my two years national service with the Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire Light Infantry. 
and I can remember on November the 11th being marched down to the Rose Hill Memorial to attend an open-air memorial armistice service. Here endeth a lesson. (laughs) And now it's time for this week's notice board, and uh, we've got no birthdays listed for the coming week, but we are sad to announce the following deaths. On the 18th of October, Gillian Gwendolyn Lay, aged 80. On the 21st of October, James Stanley, known as Jim King, aged 78 of Whitney, who was a former mayor of Whitney. And on the 23rd of October, Jean Badnell, aged 89, of Miller's Grange Care Home. And finally, on the 28th of October, Sheila Claridge, aged 88. And of course, our sincere condolences to all family and friends of the deceased. And now it's quiz time. And we begin with last week's questions and answers. And all the questions were related to Guy Fawkes' night. And the first question was, in which year did Guy Fawkes and others prepare the gunpowder plot to blow out the Houses of Parliament? Anybody know? 1605. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, that's right, 1605. And question two, who or what was the primary target of Fawkes and his fellow Catholic plotters? And the answer was to assassinate the Protestant King James I of England and his Parliament. Question three, in the weeks leading up to bonfire night, children would often make an effigy to go on top of the bonfire and they would typically shout out to passengers, what? For the guy. Yes, penny for the guy. Question four. Which food or foods were most associated with bonfire night? Toffee apples and jacket potatoes. And parking. <laughs> yes, yes, oh yes. Depends where you come from, isn't it? <laughs> and question five, finally. One of the most popular fireworks is the Catherine wheel, which is usually nailed to, the, to a tree or a pole... Um, and uh, who was Catherine? Well, she was St. Catherine of Alexandria, who was sentenced to death on a spiked wheel by the Roman emperor of the time. There was no happy ending, but she was ultimately beheaded instead. Stark choice, wasn't it? Um, And finally, this week's quiz. Five questions again, and here's the first. Who is the patron saint of children? Question two. Which sign of the zodiac is represented by a ram? Question three. What is the fruit of a beech tree known as? Question four. Which of Snow White's seven dwarfs did not have a beard? And finally, question five. What was the Christian name of the landscape gardener known as Capability Brown? Answers next week. Definitely, or maybe, Oasis star reportedly views house. Rumour has it that Liam Gallagher may be swaggering into the Chipping Norton set. 
the notorious bad boy has been spotted by neighbours viewing a 3.5 million house in this celeb-studded town. The oasis and BDI frontman is no stranger to Oxfordshire and has been seen at an A-list haunt Soho farmhouse. Liam and his partner, Debbie Gwelther, were reportedly involved in a blazing row in front of the guests at the members-only club during a romantic break away in 2016. And in 2020, his children, Molly, Lennon, Jean and Annals, spent New Year's Eve at the Modern Country Club. While married to pop star wife Nicole Appleton, the couple also lived in Henley. In 2020, he posted on Facebook, I can see myself retiring in a wigwam. I bought one year ago when I lived in Henley, but it's because a deer got in it and I couldn't get it out. Oops. I've come back to the house one day and there it, this was. Commotion going on. There's holes in the tent. And I'm like, what the is going on here and a deer from the field next door had gone in for a snoop and couldn't get out and lost its mind asked if the rumors were true a staff member at estate agent Savills who are marketing the property said not as far as I am aware family man Liam 49 toned down his rock and roll lifestyle years ago now a keen runner he recently revealed he is suffering from arthritis, leaving him with excruciating pain and probably needing hip replacement surgery. There was bad language in this article, but I didn't put those words in. And now three more news in brief. Firstly, the Woodland Trust warns about pumpkin waste. An urgent plea to witches, witches, wizards and ghosts not to endanger wildlife by dumping pumpkins has been issued by the Woodland Trust. The conservation charity has seen a trend in recent years for Halloween pumpkins to be taken to the nearest woodland and left in a misguided attempt to provide food for birds and woodland creatures. Engagement and Communication Officer Paul Bunton said a myth seems to have built up that leaving pumpkins in woods helps wildlife. But pumpkin flesh can be dangerous for hedgehogs, attracts colonies of rats, and also has a really detrimental effect on the woodland soils, plants and fungi. We can't leave dumped pumpkins to rot. Secondly, child bus fares to be cut. Bus fares for young people in Whitney and Carterton will be reduced from Monday, West Oxfordshire Community Transport is reducing the price of most of its child's tickets to a pound and extending the lower fare to all under 25s. Director Mark, Mike Parker said it is rare at this time of rocketing inflation for a price to be reduced but we want to encourage more children and families and young people to use our service. The £1 fare will apply to single journeys on routes 213, 214 and 215 in Whitney and on routes 345 and 355 in Carterton. The child fare on route 210 will remain at £2.25. And lastly for this little set, energy meter pressure. 
An advice organisation says it has seen a disturbing trend of low-income families being pressured into using prepayment meters. Citizens Advice said it is expecting to see more cases of families with energy supply debts being pressured or even coerced into using prepayment meters for their gas and electricity. The organisation added that energy supplied by prepayment meters costs more than energy paid by direct debit or on demand. It said energy suppliers are legally obliged to negotiate repayment plans with customers who are falling behind on their bills, but many suppliers are ignoring this requirement and proceeding with installing prepayment meters, or for customers with smart meters, remotely switching them to prepayment. Anyone struggling with this, with this issue can contact Citizens Advice on 0808 278 7907 or visit citizensadvice.org.uk. Christmas Day Grinch hurled brick at car. A Christmas Grinch threw a brick at the Land Rover, I beg your pardon, Range Rover, belonging to a man he'd known since childhood. The brick was said to have bounced off the luxury 4x4 and struck the roof of a VW Golf during the incident, which took place in Carterton in the early hours of Christmas Day last year. The tab was picked up by the victim's insurers, although the couple who owned the cars had to pay a total of £750 in excess fees. Appearing before Oxford Magistrates Court on Tuesday afternoon, Craig Mungle, 40, of Mallard Way, Whitney, pleaded guilty to two counts of criminal damage. The court heard Mungle had known one victim the owner of the Range Rover, since childhood, as they'd lived near each other. Brid Eve, mitigating, asked the bench to adjourn for the preparation of a pre-sentence report by the probation service. Her client struggled with alcoholism and mental health, she said. Of the damage itself, Ms Eve said, he's very sorry for it. Mungle, who appeared in court in custody, was said to have been unaware of a previous court hearing when a warrant was issued for his arrest after he failed to show up. He was bailed to return to the Speedwell Street Courthouse on November the 24th for sentence. Baker wins award for creating some of the tastiest buns. A baker at a family-run cafe has won a top award for creating one of the tastiest buns in the country. Nicola Cooper of Blake's Kitchen in Clanfield, was a winner at this year's Tiptree World Bread Awards with her marmalade and dark chocolate bun. Blake's was founded by Nicola's grandparents in 1963, passed on to her mother and is now run by Nicola and her sister Natalie. The bakery previously had success in the awards with their malt crunch sourdough and cinnamon buns. Nicola's Tiptree Showstopper winner was one of just under 500 loaves submitted to the awards from around the country. On the morning of Judging Day, which took place at Cathedral Hall in Westminster, the hundreds of loaves were delivered by courier, taxi and also in person to ensure maximum freshness. And stars of the bread-baking world gathered for the first time in three years, at St John's Church in London's Hyde Park for the awards ceremony. 
Seeing the high quality of the lobes submitted in this year's awards, it's usually satisfying to know the skill and passion for baking good bread here in the UK is not only in good hands, but has to bode well for the successful future of our craft, said Stephen Hallam, chair of the 70 industry-leading judges. Friends hit cash goal in tribute to football fan. The family of a newly married football fan who died from cancer have completed a gruelling bike ride to his favourite grounds in his memory. Ford Davis died in June, aged 28, two weeks after marrying his girlfriend, Mariella Mas Banova. Miss Banova teamed up with some of her late husband's best friends to make a 180-mile journey from Carterton to the home of Liverpool Football Club, Anfield. The club backed the riders by sending a good-luck message autographed by manager Jürgen Klopp, Jorgen Henderson and Mo Salah, amongst others. And when Maz and riders Charles Bannister, Nathan Cox, Mads Banfield, Adam Day, Alex Kernaghan, Damon Tolley and team supporter Charlie Leach arrived at LFC's ground, they were given a warm welcome by the club. So far, more than £2,000 has been raised from the cycling, with the funds being donated to ALK Positive, a charity which supports patients suffering this relatively rare form of lung cancer. The disease is caused by the abnormal rearrangement of a certain gene with the vast majority of patients non-smokers, half under 50 when diagnosed. Though some are much younger, the majority of sufferers are female. Most patients are diagnosed at stage 4. Ford's father, Andy Davis, said, When Ford's wife and a few of his best friends planned the ride, I thought they must be insane. But they wanted to keep the spirit of Ford alive. So I contacted Liverpool Football Club and they sent us a good luck certificate signed by all the players, which was fantastic. They also sent an email back saying they wished them all the best. They are also going to try to run a short story with photos in the match day programme Ford's Friends were over the moon. He added, it was extremely sad. Ford and Mass got married around two weeks prior to us losing him. Sobel House Hospice at the Churchill Hospital arranged it. They wanted to get married in their own home in Carterton, but Ford was too ill. Every bride wants a fairy tale wedding, but sadly this wasn't to be. The riders had little or no training, but Mr Davis was positive they would make it. We knew our son would be alongside to see them safe and through, he said. That and a sense of achievement, knowing that they have done something special for Ford and his chosen charity. And we stay with football grounds and fundraising. RAF staff in run around all league grounds. A team of RAF personnel raised more than £1,500 for the RAF, RAF Benevolent Fund by running a kilometre around every one of the 92 stadia in the Football League. 
Corporal Sam Davin, based at RAF Bryce Norton, was joined by RAF colleagues he met whilst he was in Cyprus. They were Sergeant Carl Evans and Corporal Aaron Lewis, both based at Bryce Norton, and Corporal Sean Bryan, based at RAF Odium in Hampshire. The fundraising run involved the team travelling 3,000 miles around England and Wales and running 10 kilometres a day for eight days. Mr Davin, 35, who has been in the RAF for 12 years, was helped by the RAF Benevolent Fund, which covered costs of relocating his family to Bryce Norton after Sam's youngest son was diagnosed with autism. It was a great success, he said. We got inside over 50 stadia, and we were able to run around the pitch. At, at the others, we just ran around the outside of the grounds. We got, a full, we got full stadium tours at Old Trafford, St James's Park, Hillsborough, Tottenham Hotspurs Stadium and many more. People were brilliant and made us feel welcome. The team raised £3,046.76, which was shared between the RAF Benevolent Fund and the National Autistic Society. Archaeological Dig paints picture of wartime in RAF. An archaeological dig at RAF Bryce Norton has helped paint a picture of life at the base in the Second World War. In 1945, 45 specialist German aircraft captured by the Allies were brought back to the station for testing and evaluation. But a severe storm damaged most of them and the airframes were scrapped and buried in large pits to the south of the airfield. It was the discovery of these, plus other buried Allied aircraft, which sparked the idea of a dig at the base, which opened in 1937. After several initial surveys over five days, multiple aircraft types were unearthed, including parts from Horser gliders. These were launched from Bryce Norton during D-Day and Operation Market Garden an Allied operation fought in the Netherlands in 1944 to create a route into northern Germany. Some 104 horser gliders had been disposed of on site. During the 1950s, the United States Air Force controlled Bryce Norton and over 200 artefacts were unearthed from this period, with some of the more substantial ones being prepared for display in the RAF Bryce Norton Heritage Centre. Work will now begin to start identifying other aircraft parts, which could take several months. Flight Sergeant Graham Moore, who leads the project, said, We've had some really good successes finding predominantly horser glider artefacts, including a data plate which is historically important. We've also found several items of personal belongings. We've found toothbrushes, cutlery, cups, bottles all items used by people, which help build a bigger picture of the station. I think we're only just scratching the surface, but so far the project has delivered some really promising results. Remains of Lowbury Man to be sent for more testing. The remains of what is thought to be a 7th century Anglo-Saxon warrior discovered near Goring have been on display at the Oxfordshire Museum in Woodstock. The Lowbury Man exhibit ended on Monday as a research team seeks to learn more about him. 
The work will include DNA and radiocarbon dating to confirm his sex, when he lived, and his ancestry. Jenny Hannaby, Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet Member for Community Services and Safety, said, I'm excited to find out what more we can learn from the remains and what it may tell us about the Lowbury Hill site. It's clear the site was a beacon of activity for hundreds, if not thousands of years, but up to now we appear to know very little about the area. I hope that our modern testing will discover more about who this man was and just why he ended up buried at Lowbury Hill near Goring. He was discovered at what is believed to have been the site of a Roman-era enclosure and Anglo-Saxon burial mound. Analysis suggests the man was a warrior who had lived in Cornwall or Western Ireland. His grave contained elaborate items, including a sword, a shield, enamelled spearhead, knife, shears, a bronze hanging bowl and a bone comb. His discovery within a burial mound and items he was buried with indicate he was a very high-status individual from the early medieval, in brackets Anglo-Saxon, time period, with some suggesting he may have been a warlord. He was also discovered alongside a woman, she is believed to have been about 40 years old. Her remains have been radiocarbon dated to about 550 to 650 AD. Unfortunately, she was buried without grave items and very little is known about her. The DNA data and CT scans will also help to, quest to explore questions about their ancestry and what diseases they may have suffered from. Planners involved in Clarkson's next series. The eagerly awaited second series of Clarkson's Farm will launch in early 2023. But local planners and councillors may want to watch it from behind the sofa. Producers say it will cover Jeremy's dealings with West Oxfordshire District Council as he attempts to diversify his operation with a restaurant. The TV presenter, 62, has already raged on live TV about the not terribly bright people in the planning departments of West Oxfordshire and said no is the council's answer to everything when it comes to his property. Clarkson's Farm Season 2, which is filmed over the course of an entire farming year, will feature more in-depth authentic and unexpected trials and tribulations as Jeremy, Lisa, Caleb, Gerald and Char Charlie tackle the ever-unpredictable world of British farming. There will also be new animals and crops to the farm and Caleb yet again saving the day on numerous occasions. It also examines the impact of the current economic crisis on British farmers. Meanwhile, a third series of Clarkson's Farm has now been confirmed and is in production. In this one, Jeremy, Lisa, 
Caleb, Gerald and cheerful Charlie will invent new and creative ways to use the other half of the farm. Some 513 acres of Diddley Squats 1,000 acres is currently unfarmed and includes vast stretches of thick woodland perfect for foraging and untouched lakes. Viewers can expect more agricultural antics and typical Clarkson crafted schemes and as well as the returning cast, a few new characters will be welcome to Diddley Squat too. Jeremy said, I am genuinely thrilled that we are doing a third season of Clarkson's Farm. I've had some great new ideas, all of which have made Charlie, Lisa and Caleb deeply unhappy. I am over the moon to be taking part again. Well, they do say third time's a charm. Maybe this will be the series that Jeremy finally starts taking advice from a real farmer, added Caleb. Jeremy's partner, Lisa Hogan, said there is a whole lot to catch up on at Diddley Squat. Series two is on its way, so not long to wait for you to see how much the hard work and love of farming continues. It's just grand to be already filming series three, she said. Caleb Cooper will be signing his new book, The World According to Caleb, at Diddley Squat Farm Shop at midday tomorrow. Anyone can buy a book which Caleb will sign in person. The book, which was number eight last week in the Sunday Times hardback non-fiction chart, is now out in hardback, ebook, and audio book. Help for the Homeless Oxford Winter Night Shelter, OWNS, is preparing to open a night shelter service running from January to March. The charity, launched by churches in the city to support the council's homelessness provision, will offer 10 beds to rough sleepers using seven different venues in the city. OWNS was set up in 2018 in response to the growing numbers of rough sleepers. During the pandemic, the number of rough sleepers reduced, but OWNS chairman, the Reverend Mary Gurr, said that the latest count of 47 rough sleepers indicated that there was a need for shelter during the coldest months of this winter. Service for the Hospice Sowell House Hospice in Oxford is highlighting its annual Lights of Love Remembrance Service. It's a chance for families to come together with others in a similar situation to remember their loved ones. The Headington Hospice's website says, This year we're so pleased to be hosting it at the Sheldonian Theatre, a place we can gather together to remember those special people in our lives who are no longer with us. For those unable to attend in person, we will be streaming the service live online for you to join. Our Lights of Love service will include introductions from Sobel House staff members, lovely readings and songs from a choir and a soloist. Each attendee will be given a battery-operated candle to light in memory of their loved one. The service takes place on Sunday, December the 4th at the Theatre in Oxford from 4pm to 5pm. 
Well, that's all we've got time for, so please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close that metal shield. And please remember to reverse the plastic address label as on the yellow pouches before posting it back to us. And could you do that as soon as possible, because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. And don't remember that if you... Don't uh, forget <laughs> that if you want to get in contact with us, just put a note in your pouch and we'll give you a ring. Now, it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for all the stories we've used tonight. Thanks also to our technical expert, Eric, our copiers, who will be Gavin and Alison, who are going to be copying the memory sticks, and our volunteers who've been checking the pouches and the memory sticks that you've returned and keeping records of this in our register. And they were Shirley Rawlings and Angela Jones. And finally, our four readers, who were, of course, Anne, Gavin, Alison and Mike. And I know that we'd all like to say goodbye. And so until our next edition, goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, October 29th. And two dramas to consider, first on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock, the conclusion of The Tomb. Following the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb, pressure builds for Carter and Shafiq, while a deal over exclusive media coverage causes resentment. Then at 6pm on Radio 4 Extra, don't look now. Daphne du Maurier's eerie supernatural 1971 short story, which stars Anna Chancellor and Michael Feast. A couple devastated by the death of their daughter seek comfort in a trip to Venice, only to experience a dawning sense of horror about the fate that awaits one of them. To Radio 3 at 6.30 on Saturday, you can hear a recent performance of the Royal Opera House's production of Verdi's Aida, with Russian soprano Elena Stikena as Aida. There's a new series on Archive on 4 at 8 o'clock on Radio 4, our Archive Century. In this first episode, James Nocherty and Helen Lewis demonstrate what the archive can tell us about the gathering and delivering of breaking news from the careful patronising announcements of the 1920s to the punchy headlines of instant digital delivery. And lastly, for Saturday, October 29th, the drama No Place But The Water continues on Radio 4 at 9pm. No one believes Birdie when she says they're being watched, but she has a found a voice recording on an old phone. On to Sunday, October 30th, and on Radio 3, an eight-hour special, Radio 3's Soundscape of a Century. At 11am, it moves through the decades of the 20th century, recalling seismic events, the Wall Street crash, abdication of Edward VIII, the outbreak of war, right up to the recent pandemic and the death of the Queen, all set against a backdrop of classical music of the age. The drama at three o'clock on Radio 4... Working title, Myth Nobody, Ethel Carney's 1913 novel concludes. Carrie has returned from the countryside to work in the mill. Rachel rallies the workers to join the union and strike. It's followed on Radio 4 at 4 by Open Book, in which author Barbara Kingsolver is in conversation with Chris Power about her modern reimagining of Dickens' David Copperfield, which is the book of bedtime this week. You're Asking with Marion Keyes and Tara Flynn is at 7.15 on Sunday on Radio 4. The topic tonight, boring husbands. And finally, Sunday night is music night. Another chance to hear what was in 2015 the world premiere of Scary Fairy, a 
poem by actor Craig Charles, set to music by Ian Farrington and performed by the BBC Philharmonic. It's on Radio 2 at 8 o'clock. It's programmes then that are broadcast each day, every day, at the same time, on the same radio station. So, same time, same radio station, right throughout the week, Monday to Friday. 9.45 each day on Radio 4, Disaster Trolls. Mariana Spring investigates conspiracy theories that target the victims of tragedies with online abuse and threats, including survivors of the Manchester Arena bombing in 2017. On Radio 4 Extra at 10am, you can hear the personal history of David Copperfield, a dramatisation of Dickens' semi-autobiographical 1850 novel with Marion Margulies, Timothy Spall and Sheila Hancock. Composer of the Week at 12 noon on Radio 3 is Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, 1875-1912. A mixed-race boy raised in a white family with an absent father and the only boy in his school to play an instrument. He left school at 13. What would become of him? At 1.45 every day of the week, Monday to Friday on Radio 4, is The Threat to US Democracy, in which Owen Bennett-Jones explores the threats facing America's electoral system as the nation prepares for November's midterms, the last major polling day before the 2024 presidential election. 10.45 every night, a choice of programmes, Book of Bedtime on Radio 4, and Barbara Kingsolver's reimagining of Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, centred on a boy born to a teenage single mother in a trailer home who battles through foster care and child labour. While on Radio 3, at the same time, the essay, Renewing the Past, the BBC and Early Music. Former Radio 3 controller and proms director Nicholas Kenyon delves into the archives to explore the BBC's role in reviving music from before the 18th century. And if you are a cricket fan, it's worth being aware that Radio 5 Live Sports Extra is covering the T20 World Cup. There are broadcasts each day from the early morning because the World Cup is taking place in Australia. But times do vary. But Radio 5 Sports Extra is the place to be for cricket commentary. Now, on to the rest of the radio highlights for the week. Monday, October 31st, and the afternoon concert at one o'clock on Radio 3 features the Reflector Ensemble in a concert including Beethoven's Eroka Symphony, a piano recital given by Dejan Lacic in August at the Gestard Festival in Switzerland, and a recent session by the BBC Singers of French Choral Music. Brain of Britain is at three o'clock on Radio 4. Russell Davis hosts the second of four semi-finals. Policeman turned comedian Alfie Moore each week looks at a real-life case and asks members of the audience how they would have acted in such circumstances. It's a Fair Cop is at 6.30 on Radio 4 on Monday. While Analysis at 8.30 on Radio 4 asks, Can effective altruism really change the world? Should you be a doctor or an aid worker, or should you make a billion or two any way you can and give it to good causes? Tuesday, November 1st, and there's a new series entitled Moving Pictures at 11.30 on Radio 4, in which Cathy Fitzgerald and her guests examine different paintings and reveal the stories behind them. This week they look at the painting A Bar at the Folies Bergère at the Cornell Gallery in London. Also at 11.30, in the studio, a new collection of stories featuring Agatha Christie's Spencer Sleuth, Miss Marple. It's on BBC World Service at 11.30. Different authors reimagine her life. In Drader, say Mitchell's tale, set during a 1960s wedding, Miss Marple has a new black sidekick. 
And Kate Moss is a more traditional and sets her story in a quaint English village in the late 1940s. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is The Owl and the Nightingale. Narrator Simon Armitage overhears a fiery verbal contest between the two birds that moves from the philosophical to the ridiculous, with Rachel Sterling as the Nightingale and Maxine Peake as the Owl. 6.30pm on Tuesday on Radio 4 comes The Missing Hancocks, a recreation of the classic episode from 1954. This week Tony finds a diamond ring and turns to Sid for help when Moira thinks marriage is in the air. Tuesday, In Touch, Radio 4, 8.40pm with Peter White. And it's followed this week by Inside Health at 9 o'clock, which looks at turning off the heating this winter as energy bills soar and asks what effect does cold have on the body. Wednesday, November 2nd, 9am on Radio 4, Life Changing, in which Dr Sean Williams talks to ordinary people about an extraordinary turning point in their life. In 2011, university professor Nicola Shaughnessy was travelling to Utrecht when she stopped to get a meal deal at Ebbsfleet Station and heard a voice, one she thought had been silenced 20 years ago. That was about to turn her life upside down. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Talk To Me, Anne Rand. Rand, played by Diana Quick, receives a visit from her sister from the Soviet Union in 1974 and brings to light secrets she never intended to reveal. New series at four on Radio 4, Sideways. This week, in The Social Contagion, Matthew Syed tells the story of a strange fainting outbreak at a school and delves into these type events that affect dozens, sometimes hundreds, of people. 8.30 on Radio 4 comes Net Zero to finish off Wednesday, a very British problem. This week, comedian and environmental economist Matt Winning travels round Britain and looks at the implications on transport if Britain is to eliminate carbon emissions by 2050. Thursday, November 3rd, and the drama at 2.15 is the concluding episode of Pilgrim, the Timbermore Imp. Sally Mop is out and doing the bidding of a vindictive teenager, whether the teenager likes it or not. Open Country at 3 on Radio 4, Miles Ward travels around Gloucestershire and Oxfordshire with author John Garth looking for traces of Tolkien land at Farringdon Tower and the Rollwright Stones. Plus his archive of the writer talking about where his books may have been based. Last month in Fartown near Huddersfield, a 15-year-old was killed outside his school. In Knives at the School Gate at 4 o'clock on Radio 4 on Thursday, the schoolboys' community, youth workers, police and families try to make sense of this tragic event. Well, lastly for Thursday, tune in to Radio 3 in concert at 7.30 to hear the BBC Symphony Orchestra in Tokyo for the opening concert of this year's BBC Proms, Japan. It includes Dai Fujikura's Glorious Clouds, Sibelius's Violin Concerto Opus 47, and Shostakovich's Symphony No. 5. And we round off the week Friday, November 4th. The drama Harland continues at 2.15. Failing security guard Dan and guilt-stricken former vicar Lindsay join forces in the search for missing police officer Sarah Ward. It's followed on Radio 4 at 2.45 by Why Do We Do That? This week, a look at why drink, drugs, driving fast and eating junk food are popular among young people. With Guy Fawkes Night almost here, once again Classic FM produces a playlist of soothing music designed to help calm animals' nerves and ease their stress during the fireworks season. It includes a melody written by Mozart for his pet starling and Elgar's Mina, which the composer wrote for his beloved Cairn Terrier.
It's on Classic FM from five o'clock and all followed on Classic FM by Smooth Classics at nine o'clock, tailored for the humans with Margarita Taylor. That's it for another week. Thank you so much to Angela for the highlights. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. TNS Soundings. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is John from Otty Talking News, selecting and reading my choice of audio described television programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 29th of October and ending Friday the 4th of November. Sorts and offer on Saturday the 29th. Firstly, you can discover Britain's Secret Seas on BBC Two at 10am looking at the marine life around Cornwall, Devon and South Wales. At 12 noon on BBC Two, Top of the Shop with Tom Kerridge. Cheesemakers compete for a place in the final. More food at 12.15 on ITV as James Martin has a great British adventure. Today he's in Northern Ireland accompanied by fellow chef Paul Rankin. The feature film on BBC Two at 2.50 is Singing in the Rain starring Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds. Would you like to watch an action-adventure film? If the answer is yes, then switch to ITV2 at 6.45 for Tomb Raider. Heiress Lara Croft refuses to believe her father, a famed explorer, is dead, so sets off for a remote Japanese island in search of the truth. On BBC2 at 7pm, there's part two of How the BBC Began. Nan Winton tells the story of how she was sacked because the editor preferred men to read the news. On Channel 4 at 8pm, there's Charles, Our New King, a new two-part series that explores the pivotal moments in King Charles III's life. Let's have a look at Sunday the 30th. Bargain Hunt is on BBC One at 12 noon. A Cook Abroad, Rick Steen's Australia, is on BBC Two at 11. And there's a repeat of last Sunday's Gino's Italy, like Mummy used to make, on ITV at 12.25. Gino visits Toro del Greco. At 1.35 on BBC Two, Ghost Bear Family. The Natural World team follow ghost bears, North American black bears that, via a quirk of genetics, have been born pure white. The Larkins continue on ITV at 8pm. Ma dispenses some tough love to Pa while playing Cupid to Primrose and Rav Candy. Also at 8 but on Channel 4 is a new series of Escape to the Chateau. After two years of closure... Dick and Angel prepare to reopen for a new wedding season, with Angel planning to turn the Chateau's cider and vinegar store into a wedding workshop. Obviously, to at nine, Tutankhamun's secrets. On the 100th anniversary of the discovery of Tutankhamun's treasure film tomb, Dr. Janina Ramirez investigates how Howard Carter unearthed the Pharaoh's tomb when it was widely believed that there were no more great Egyptian finds to be made. As a new series on BBC One at 9pm, SAS Rogue Heroes, a drama series about a group of officers who, frustrated by their superior strategy in the Second World War, hatch a plan to parachute soldiers behind enemy lines. This is followed on BBC Four with SAS Rogue Warriors, the true story behind the world's most famous combat unit. Ben McIntyre tells the story behind this extraordinary fighting force. Here's a look now at programmes that are on the same time each weekday. 
All these following ones are on BBC One. Holmes Under the Hammer at 11.15am, Bargain Hunt at 12.15, Doctors at 1.45, I Escaped to the Country at 3pm, then Moving to ITV at 2pm is Dickinson's Real Deal, and then on ITV 3 at 6pm each evening is Heartbeat. All the soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Now look at programmes for Monday the 31st of October. Jamie's One Pound Wonders is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Jamie Oliver shares wallet-friendly recipes. Using one of the cheapest cuts of meat, he produces a juicy meatloaf before rustling up a vegetarian curry. On BBC One at 9, the pact continues. Christine resorts to desperate measures. On BBC Four at nine, Sir Bob Geldof in conversation with Alan Yentov. Although not audio described, this interview, which was recorded at the Radio Times Festival earlier this year, follows Geldof's life from the doll queue in Ireland to his incredible charity fundraising work, culminating in the 1985 Live Aid concert. Geldof reflects on the preposterous fact that, at almost 40 years later, men, women and children are still going hungry in the world. The walk-in concludes on ITV at 9. Robbie Mullen must face his former friends from National Action in court. The right-wing terrorists are accused of plotting to kill an MP, but to help bring them to justice, Matthew must convince the jury that he's a reformed character. Following this, after the news, Nazi Hunter, the real walk-in, exploring the remarkable story of real-life former fascist Matthew Collins who has been portrayed by Stephen Graham in the ITV series The Walk-In. At 10 on Channel 4, made in the 80s, the decade that shaped our world. In this, the second part, unrest gripped the nation and many began to challenge the status quo, particularly those who felt excluded by its old values. Now what's on on Tuesday the 1st of November? Trawler Men Hunting the Catch continues on BBC One at 8pm. Luke Selby... Emily James Skipper hunts down lucrative cuttlefish in the world's busiest shipping lane. There's good fishing at the start of his week-long trip, but can he keep the secret to himself? Also at 8pm on Buran Channel 4 is the Great British Bake Off, and it's pastry week. The remaining bakers make vullivons in the signature challenge, a delicious savoury snack in the technical, and then put together a show-stopping 3D piescape depicting their favourite childhood story. At 9pm on BBC One, reported missing. In this concluding part, South Yorkshire Police race to find two missing women, both of whom are at risk from abusive partners. Make Me Prime Minister concludes on Channel 4 at 9.15. The final three embark on the ultimate campaign trail, guided by Alistair Campbell and Baroness Saida Wasi. The candidates have one final challenge to project and present their big ideas to the public and the media. Also at 9.15 but on BBC Two, Louis Theroux interviews Judy Dench. Dame Judy is regarded as one of Britain's greatest actors. She talks to Theroux at her home about her long career and a passion for theatre. How about ending the day with A Day in the Life of Earth? BBC Four has this programme presented by Hannah Fry which reveals how much our planet changes in just 24 hours as it moves, breathes, shrinks and grows beneath our feet. On to Wednesday the 2nd, the repair shop is on BBC One at 8. This week the team take on a rusty miniature bike, 
a small mosaic cross that belonged to a young soldier, a damaged kite and an acrobat toy. It's the semi-finals of Handmade Britain's Best Woodworker on Channel 4 at 8pm. The four remaining woodworkers must create an elegant but practical desk in just two days, as well as craft a vase from the wood offcuts. Lucy Worsley's Fireworks for a Tudor Queen is on BBC4 at 8.30. Lucy, along with historian Zoe Lachlan, tried to create one of the earliest firework displays in Britain, originally created by Robert Dudley in an attempt to win the hand of Queen Elizabeth I. There's a new series of MasterChef The Professionals on BBC One at 9pm. 32 chefs from across the country vie to become the 2022 champion. The first four competitors are challenged to open oysters and serve them poached. At 9 on ITV is another programme about Charles, our new king. In this documentary, Tom Braby asks what sort of monarch will Charles III be? He speaks to those who know him well, close friends, people who have worked with him and helped him with the causes he cherishes. Also at nine, but on more four, Matt Baker, Our Farm in the Dales. In this penultimate episode, Matt makes a feeding station for the sheep on his mother's farm. Staying on Channel 4 at 10, Sue Perkins' Big American Road Trip. Sue takes a celebratory look at the modern phenomenon of camper vans, known as RVs in the USA. She travels across California and Colorado to discover the highs and lows of life on the road. Thursday the 3rd of November is the semi-finals of Unbreakable on BBC One at Eight. The four remaining couples hope to prove their relationship has what it takes to get them closer to winning that title. Also Eight but on Channel 4 is Oldie's Next Big Thing. Oldie's head buyer goes on the hunt for the next healthy and wholesome product. Six small-scale suppliers pitch their ideas, but only two can reach the finals. Are they ready to meet the demands of almost a thousand stores? It's the second heat of MasterChef The Professionals on BBC One at Nine. The next four hopefuls are asked to butterfly sardines and then serve them with a tomato paste and olive tapenade. To find out how to survive a dictator with Munya Chihuahua, tune in to Channel 4 at 10pm. Munya meets the family, friends and henchmen of Robert Mugabe, the notorious former dictator of Zimbabwe. The late film on ITV at 10.45 is Spider-Man. During a school trip to a New York laboratory, Peter Parker is bitten by a genetically modified spider and develops incredible powers. Finally to Friday the 4th, Unreported World examines the secrets of sumo wrestling on Channel 4 at 7.30. Sahar Zand examines the darker side of sumo wrestling in Japan, from health issues to claims of bullying. The Great British Bake Off Extra Slice is on Channel 4 at 8. Joe Brand gets all wrapped up in Pastry Week with Bake Off superfans Joe Wilkinson, Judy Love and Maisie Adam. And Tom Allen judges the bakes brought in by the studio audience. Also, 8 but on BBC One is the third part of MasterChef The Professionals. The first quarter-final sees five of the strongest chefs from the first two heats return to the kitchen. Firstly, they must create a standout brunch dish in 70 minutes. One contender will then leave. The others go on to cook for the most discerning restaurant critics who won't hold back their opinions. It's the final part of DNA Journey on ITV at 9. 
Gavin and Stacey stars Larry Lamb and Alison Stedman embark on a trip to discover their family histories. Alison discovers that her father was adopted, something that no one in her family knew, while Larry manages to trace his Jewish roots back to Lithuania. The late film of BC Warner 11.35 is The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. In this Second World War drama, young Bruno's father is given a promotion and they move from Berlin to a house in the countryside. With nothing to do, Bruno becomes curious about the nearby building known as The Farm and its oddly clothed inhabitants. I hope you find some of the interest in my selection this week. TNF Soundings TNF Soundings Features from across the UK Hello. Here's a general knowledge quick quiz to, I hope, challenge, inform and maybe amuse you. I'm Roger Brooks and if you enjoy a brain teaser or two, here's our quick Super 7 quiz number one. The first question. In what year were premium bonds introduced in the UK? Ernie and all. In what year were premium bonds introduced? Number two. Which or who is the only horse ever to win three Grand Nationals? The Aintree course at Liverpool. Three Grand Nationals. Question number three. Who was the UK's Prime Minister before Margaret Thatcher? Who was Prime Minister before Margaret Thatcher? Question number four. In the famous ghost story, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, how many ghosts were there? How many ghosts appeared in A Christmas Carol? Question number five. What do the letters R-N-L-I stand for? There's a little twist in the tail here. R-N-L-I. Question number six. Which is the UK's longest motorway? Which is the longest motorway in the United Kingdom? And question number seven, finally. We often hear the term the Benelux countries, the Benelux countries in Europe. Which three nations comprise the Benelux countries. And that's the end of our Super 7 quiz. Hello, Roger Brooks back again. The answers to our Super 7 general knowledge quiz are as follows. Question 1. Premium bonds were first introduced in 1956 1956. I'm still waiting for my win. Question two. The only horse to win the Grand National three times was Red Rum. Question three. The United Kingdom's Prime Minister before Margaret Thatcher was Labour's James Callaghan. Question four. The answer is four. The answer to the question being, how many ghosts appeared to Scrooge 
in A Christmas Carol. The four were Jacob Marley, The Ghost of Christmas Past, The Ghost of Christmas Present, and The Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. Question 5. What do the letters R-N-L-I stand for? Often misspelled or mispronounced because it's actually the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, not Institute. Bit of a trick question, that one. Question 6. Which is the UK's longest motorway? The answer could be the one you're on always seems to be that one, doesn't it? But the answer is the M6 the M6, which goes from Leicestershire to Gretna Green and is 236 miles long. The M1 is the second longest, running from London to Hook Moor in Yorkshire, 200 miles. And finally, question 7. The Benelux countries, you can work that out from the name, I guess, are Belgium, Netherlands and Luxembourg. Hope you did well with those seven. TNF Soundings. 